Well, come on now. Who's excited to be worshiping with your church family this morning? Yes. Man, in fact, look at the person sitting beside you and say, hey, you look good today. Tell them, say, you look good today, right? Come on, you look good today. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming, hanging out with us today. This is Kentucky, and it's March, and it is March Madness. You don't know if you're gonna get snow. You don't know if you're gonna get spring or summer, but we're just glad to be able to worship together. Now, if you're visiting with us, if it's your first time or first time in a long time, I want you to know something about Barrel Life Church. God is doing a great work and uh, doing a great thing in this region, and we knew 14 years ago when we we planted this church, that it would be a regional church. We knew that people would come from surrounding counties, and uh, we just wanted to listen to Jesus and do what he tells us to do. And three years ago, he was speaking to us that we were seeing a lot of people coming from the Carter County area, and... Uh, we just said, you know what, let's launch a campus there. And three years ago, we launched our Grayson campus. And then this past year, we saw God do some great work in Boyd County, which we've been praying for for over a decade. And uh, we launched the campus there in Ashland. So we are one church and three locations. Come on, can we give it up for our campuses in Ashland and Grayson? Man, I am so excited about that. I just an awesome privilege to be a part all the way from Ashland to Moorhead, all in between north and south. God is doing a great work. So if you have family or friends anywhere in that area that wants to be part of a, a local fellowship, man, we would love to invite you to be a part of it. We also want to welcome everyone watching online and across this great country as well. And so we're in this series called Cross Equals Love. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 23. If you have your phone, you can pull it up. I'll be using the New Living Translation. But this is a series called Cross Equals Love. And what we're doing in this series is we're studying the last sayings of Jesus. And so there's seven statements that were recorded when Jesus was on the cross, and we're gonna look at every one of them leading all the way up and finishing on Easter Sunday. Now, I know I'm gonna say this, I know we're a few weeks out for Easter, but Easter is one of the best times, in fact, not the number one time for you to invite a family member, a friend, someone who doesn't go to church, or someone who may not believe in Jesus or know Jesus, and I wanna encourage you to obviously be praying for them, you know, that God would do something in our heart and lives to bring them to a place so they can hear the life-changing message. But I'm here to tell you, we're gonna have Easter every single Sunday uh, because we're gonna be looking at the cross. So if they can't come in Easter, anytime between now and then, we'd love for you to get a family member, a friend, a coworker, or a roommate, a classmate, a fraternity brother, a sorority sister, someone in your life that you would get them to a place where they can hear the life-changing message of the gospel. So let's pick up where we left off last week in Luke chapter 23. And so we know that Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He goes into the garden. He's arrested that night. This is backstory you can read in Luke 22 and on up following. He's arrested and he, he tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. Well, we know that Peter denies Jesus three times. All the disciples scatter. Jesus is left alone at the council to go to trial. He goes before Pilate. Pilate finds nothing wrong with Jesus, finds nothing guilty about Jesus, and he sends him on his way to Herod. Herod was excited to meet Jesus. He heard all kinds of great things about Jesus. I know this is backstory, but you gotta have the context. And uh, he, he loved to hear all these stories about Jesus. But Herod finds nothing wrong with Jesus. So there's two governors that find nothing wrong, nothing guilty that Jesus ever committed a crime by claiming to be the king of the world or the Messiah, the chosen one. And so Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate says, listen, bro, talk to the Jewish leaders. I find nothing wrong with Jesus. So, hey, flog him, send him home, quit messing with me. Well, at this time of the year, uh, every year, that, that, that Pilate would release a prisoner. And so all of a sudden, the same people who started talking about Hosanna, here comes Jesus in the highest, are the same ones that start screaming, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. 
So Barabbas is this wicked sinner who's committed all these kind of crazy crimes that we don't have time to get into it, but horrific crimes that he's been sentenced to death. And now here's Jesus who lived an innocent life, a sinless life, and never did anything wrong, but the Jewish people at this time uproar against him because he claimed to be the Messiah. So they took Jesus and they began to crucify Jesus. Now, the Romans crucified thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Jesus is not the only person who's been crucified. I mean, this is a very torturous way to die. In fact, you die by suffocation hanging on a cross. And that was one of the reasons why they went on quickly and, and, and make sure they break the legs of the criminals beside them because you can't hold yourself up and you immediately will suffocate. It was a horrible, 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 horrible way to die. And so they laid the cross down and, and Jesus is now nailed to the cross. And I, this is very important because as time in this series goes, you, you need to know this. He was nailed to the cross around 9 a.m. on Friday morning. That's very significant because we're going to learn more about that as we go throughout this series. But it's very important for you to know that at 9 a.m. in the morning, he was hung on the cross and nailed to the cross. They raised up the cross, and here's Jesus at the cross, and, and people begin to hurl insults. They begin to cast lots, the Bible says, for his clothing. So the Roman soldiers who ripped Jesus' clothes off him, so people don't know this a lot of times, but he is hanging naked on this cross, nailed to it. Just the shame alone that comes from being able to do that. And the soldiers were at the foot of the cross gambling, rolling dice and saying, who's gonna get these garments? Who gets to keep his clothing? Well, the Bible prophesied about that, that when Jesus would be crucified or the Son of Man to be crucified, that they would cast lots for his garment. And so we, we see that, that Jesus prayed at this moment and he said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So last week, that's what we looked at. When Jesus looked at his accusers, looked at the one who has crucified him, basically looked at the world and said, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Now, they knew what they were doing to Jesus. They didn't know the significance of the ignorance of what was actually being fulfilled and how they were fulfilling prophecy. So last week, we talked about how does God forgive us? If you missed that, I wanna encourage you, please, to go back and watch that because we talk, how does God forgive us? How can God look at us when we make mistakes and we blow it and we do things and God forgives us? So if you're struggling from receiving the forgiveness of God, because most people say, yeah, I think God's forgiven me. I, well, I, well, I know I'm forgiven, but I don't feel forgiven or, hey, there's that one thing in my life, that one thing. I just, I don't know for sure if God's forgiven me of that. If you struggle with receiving the forgiveness of God, please go back and watch last week. So now we pick up in verse 35. So in Luke 23, verse 35, let's pick up with our story. It says, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. And here's what they said. Now picture Jesus hanging on the cross and they said, let him save himself. If he's really God's Messiah, if he's really the chosen one, if he's really the son of God, then watch this. He has no problem to save himself. Come down off the cross, save yourself. Now, what they didn't know is that the leaders were fulfilling a prophecy that in Psalms 22, if you're taking notes, in Psalms 22, we see verse seven and eight. It says, they will mock him, they will sneer at him, they will scoff him, and they will say to him, the Lord you saved, why is not the Lord saving you? If you are God's one, chosen one, why is he not saving you? Call upon the Lord to save you. So they had no idea the leaders, they were fulfilling prophecy. Folks, you would not believe over 300 prophecies have been fulfilled just in Jesus alone. So it's just amazing to see the story. Verse 36, the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. 
And so here Jesus, a lot of time, they would mix some sour wine. We'll get to that later down the road when he talks about when he thirsts. And they would take a sponge and they would hiss it and they would dip it in. I'm sorry, a sponge, they would dip it and they would hold it up to the people being crucified and they would trick them because they would sour the wine so they would taste it because now they're thirsty uh, so bad. They're, start, they're, they're thirsting so bad and they would mock them with this wine. Did you know that in Psalm 69 verse 21, and it tells us this, they offered sour wine for his thirst. They had no idea. So the leaders are fulfilling prophecy. The, the soldiers are fulfilling the prophecy and they had no idea they were part of this. Verse 37. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. As a sign was fastened above him, it read these words. This is the king of the Jews. Now this is very important because a lot of times when you were crucified, they would hang up the crime that you committed above you for the reason why you're getting the death, the death sentence here. And so they're mocking the Jews. The Romans now are mocking the Jews saying, hey, here's the king of the Jews. And the Jews did not want that sign up there. They say, take that sign down. We don't want that sign up there. But they put it up there because they're saying, this is what you're saying his crime is. Here is the king of the Jews. And we know that he is the king of the world. And so it said, if you're the king of all these Jews, come on, save yourself, save everyone around. You could fix this. Keep reading, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him, and this is very important to know, he was crucified with two criminals, one on the left, one on the right. You know, if you drive down the road, you see a, a, like a grassy knoll or a hill, there'll be three crosses. This is one in the middle, two on the side. This is where we get this from. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoff. So you're the Messiah, are you? Are you really the chosen one? Prove it, give us a sign. Show us, save yourself, and oh, by the way, help a brother out and save us too. Help us, and, 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 and while you're at it, save us too. But the other criminal protested. Now, this is very important. He looks back and says, don't you fear God? Now, Jesus is in the middle. These two guys are yelling. They're looking at each other and say, bro, what are you doing? Why are you talking to Jesus like this? You know, put yourself there. Like, like don't, you, don't you fear God? Look what he says here. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then here's our second statement. All oh, that's backstory. Let's get to the sermon. You ready for the sermon? This is the, this is the statement. This is what Jesus says in verse 43. Now watch this. Jesus looks over at the criminal who's being crucified for his wicked sin. Says, I assure you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. And for the next few moments, I wanna unpack this. I wanna talk about what must I know to truly, truly be saved, to spend eternity with Jesus? What must I know? And then what must I do for that matter? So if you're taking notes, I got a few things I wanna point out here with you. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down. Come on, all of our locations. Here we go. I must know this, that when I die, I will meet God, that I will meet God after I die. You need to know that, that one day you will become face to face with God. You can't outrun him, you can't hide from him, that someday you will see him face to face. Every seven billion people on the planet today who has lived, who is living, and who will live, when they die, they will see Jesus, they will see God face to face. The criminal says, don't you fear God? Because even the criminal knew 
that in a moment, they're gonna stand before God and they're gonna see him face to face. So he screams at the other criminal on the other side of Jesus and say, don't you even fear God? The author of Hebrews says this, as just as each person is destined to die, once after that comes judgment. So let me unpack that. What happens when you die? You know, it's probably the number one fear in most people's lives is they fear death. And maybe some people don't fear death per se, they fear how they might die. And you think about that sometimes as you get older in life because when you're young, you're invincible. At least you think you're invincible. But what happens after you die? Well, the naturalist people, they just believe that you cease to exist. You, this is all it is, is on earth. Have fun, eat, drink, and be merry because when you die, it's over. There's nothing past this world. Then you have the universalist. They believe that everyone's going to heaven. Well, almost everyone's going to heaven. And so these are the people who would say things like this. Well, honey, we're all God's children. And I want you to hear me say this clearly. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. To become his adopted child, you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus. So we are all God's creation, not like, oh, we're just all God's little children down here. To be a part of the family of God, you receive Jesus Christ. He adopts you, and that's when you become his child. We're all his creation. So the universalists believe that, hey, no matter what religion, it don't matter what you do, as long as you're a pretty good person, pretty good moral person, hey, come on, we're all going to go to heaven because we're all God's children, and we know that's not to be true. Then you got the reincarnationist. They believe that once you die, you're reincarnated. You're reincarnated in something. I mean, right now we have children in India and in, in, in Asia starving to death. And there's enough beef and cattle to fill the entire continent. But they will not go and slay the beef and eat it because they believe it's a family member. And they will watch their children starve to death and die because they believe in reincarnation. Because we don't want to harm a family member. Now, you and I may think of that and think that's silly, but that's how strong a belief is when you believe something so strongly. And then you have those who believe in purgatory. That means that once you die, if you're a believer, you go to a place called purgatory and you suffer a little bit. It's, it's really a place where, where you're refined some and you, know, you kind of pay back a little bit of the evil stuff and the bad stuff you did in middle school. Who wants to forget middle school, right? Like all the bad stuff like you kind of did and all that stuff. And then when you kind of purify yourself in purgatory, then you get to go into heaven. Folks, that's nowhere in the Bible. There's no place in the Bible called purgatory. That as a believer, once you die, you go to this place where you now gotta work and, and refine yourself and work through your bad stuff so that you will cleanse yourself to go on to heaven. Folks, that is nowhere in the scripture. But when you read the Bible, do you know that 13% of Jesus' teachings were on hell, punishment, and judgment? Do you know that almost half of his parables that he taught dealt with hell, judgment, and this is very important when you know. So the question sometimes is, is, why is this place called hell? Why was it even created in the first place? Well, Matthew tells us in Matthew 25 that, the, that hell was created for the devil and his demons. That's why God prayed, prepared this place. It was prepared for the devil and the demon. And so many people think that Satan is in hell right now. Listen to me, look at me, look at me. Come on, every Ashley, Grayson, look at me. Satan is not in hell right now. The Bible is clear that he is on this earth, but he's restricted He's not omnipresent. The devil can't be at all place at all times. Some people said, man, the devil's just on me. I doubt it's the devil. Because he could only be one place at one time. He is restricted and he is on this earth right now. 
He has a leash on him. God has a leash on him. And there will come a day at the end of the world where God will remove his hand and unleash him and let him do whatever he wants to do on this planet. That day is coming. But he is restricted right now. In fact, the Bible says several times, he is the prince of this world. He's influenced this world. And he has these followers that's behind him, these spirits behind him, these demons behind him that does this. So Satan is not in hell right now being punished. Do you all know that? He is released right here on this earth doing everything he can to bring down Jesus, to stop the church, which we know in the end that it will not happen. So the Bible tells us that once we die, we will face judgment. And you need to know this. There's two types of judgments that you will face or that you could face depending on what side that you're on. The first is for believers. The believers will go to the judgment seat of Christ. Every single person who was saved will stand before God and you will be judged. Now watch this. When I die and go and face to face with Jesus, I will not be judged for my salvation. My salvation has already been covered. It's already been paid for. I'm in the family of God. I will be judged according to 1 Corinthians 3 for my works that I've done for him. And that everything that I've done since I was born until to I die, will go through the fire, the Bible says, and everything that's wood, hay, and stubble will fall to the ground, but everything I did with a pure heart, with a pure motive, with, with pure in my life, then I will be rewarded at this judgment for what I've done, and watch this, and guess what I'm gonna do with my rewards? I'm gonna give them to Jesus because I am not worthy of them. So there is a judgment for every single person who is a believer in Christ, but please hear me. You will not be judged to go to heaven because Jesus already paid your payment. This is called the judgment seat of Christ. But then there's the great white throne judgment. And this is where every single person who rejected Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior will be judged for their sins. And so there's two types of judgment that you have to ask, which judgment will you be standing at? The one that you, because you gave your life to Jesus and you put your faith and trust in him or because it say, hey, I, I believe, but I didn't have the right belief. Folks, listen, even the devil believes. Even the demons believe. So if you say that you believe and it's never changed your life, I say this with everything within me, you have the wrong belief. And the Bible all the time tells us, we see it in the scriptures, hey, test yourself. Make sure you're in the faith to make sure that you put your faith and trust and have the right belief. And so the judgment seat for the Christians and it'll be the great right throne, obviously, for those who don't know him. And then at the end, the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 10, it will take death, it will take Hades, it will take the devil, it will take all the demons, and then at the end, they will throw them into the lake of fire, what you and I know today of as hell. And that hell is where they would spend all eternity and listen, I want you to know this. The devil's not ruling in hell. He's being tormented for the rest of his life, for all eternity, the scripture tells us in Revelation 20, verse 14. And so we see this. And so here's the question then. What happens? Let's go back real quick to the two thieves. Where do they go when they die? Well, a lot of people say, well, that Christian died and went to heaven. Well, not really. Because the new heaven where we'll spend all eternity in that heaven as believers, God will create the new heaven, the Bible says. And so where does someone go when they die that know Jesus? And if they're not cast into the lake of fire, hell, to the end, where do they go then waiting for that judgment? It's an awesome question to ask. Well, when we look through the scriptures, what we see 
is that there's a place called Hades that the Bible says, and you can see this in your scripture, that when you die and you do not know Jesus, you go to a place called Hades where you are being tortured waiting for the great white throne judgment. And someday you will stand before God and then the Bible said he'll take death, Hades, the devil, and the demons, and then he will throw them into hell at the end time. Now, I know this a lot. Someone's like, dude, I've never been to church. This is fascinating. Come on, welcome. Listen, on the way to church this morning, my buddy picked me up because I had family in, and I rode with him, and we're listening to Sirius XM, and ACDC on was playing, and going, highway to hell. And he looked at me, goes, I'm listening to this with my pastor in the car with me. And he flipped the cha- station real quick. And I sat there and thought about that. You know what? The highway to hell is so broad. It is so wide open. But the way to Jesus, the Bible says, is so narrow. It's a narrow path so that we wouldn't miss it. And so listen to me. Listen, hell has a highway and it's so big and it wants everyone. But listen, the way of Jesus is a narrow road, a narrow path. And why did he make it so narrow? Not because God was narrow minded. He did it so that you wouldn't miss it. So you don't miss it. Everyone gets in the same way through Jesus. Everyone comes through the same door through Jesus. Everyone qualifies because of Jesus. You put your faith in him. And so when you die and you don't know, you go to the scriptures, tells us there's a place called Hades. I don't know everything about it, but it's a place that you will be tormented. And you can read about that in a rich man and Lazarus when he passed away. You see this in the text, in the scripture. But then Jesus says right here to this guy, today you'll see me in paradise. What's paradise? If it's not the heaven that we know someday that we will go to, then where is paradise? But here's what you gotta understand about paradise. Jesus says, today you will be with me. We know this. We know this as believers. When we die, we will be in the presence of Jesus and we will be with him. He called it a place called paradise where we're waiting for the new heaven to be created. And in that place called paradise, we know even in that place, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more tears, no more cancer, no more pain, no more death, no more heartaches, that we will be in the presence of Jesus Now, a lot of people don't understand or don't know that, but that is what the scripture tells us as you're waiting. So listen, here's what you must know, that when you die, you will face God. And both of these criminals knew they were about to face God. One wanted to hurry and escape. The other one said, hey, bro, just remember me because I know we can't escape. And Jesus looked at the criminal and said, today you will be with me in paragraphs. Here's one thing you need to know. You will face God when you die. What side will you be on? because death is coming. The last time I checked it, one out of one people die. It's 100% mortality rate. I'm saying one out of one people die. You're gonna die. You better make sure you make your decision now before it's too late what side you're gonna be on. Okay, here's the second one you gotta know, thing you must know. I have sinned against God. So many people walk around and understand, you don't understand, I have sinned against God. The criminal says, we deserve our punishment. We deserve for our crimes. What did he do? He recognized he sinned, that he blew it, he messed up. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The wages of sin, and here's, what, here's the crazy thing, every one of us has sinned. I know some of you sitting there think you haven't. You have, you promise you, you have. We've all sinned. And watch this, one sin separates us from God. One sin. Every single one of us have sinned. And so what's the wages of that sin? What did you earn because you sinned? The scripture says death. So you must know this, that you're a sinner. I know you're you're better than some people and you're not as good as that person, but you're way better than that person. It doesn't matter. We've all missed the mark. 
Every single one of us has fallen short. When you measure yourself up to Jesus, we fall short every single time. And that is the wages for our sin. You must know that you have sinned against God. Here's the third thing you must know. You must know that Jesus is more than a man. He was more than just a man. This guy looked over and says, but this man has not done anything wrong. All major religions in the world believe that Jesus lived. All major worlds and, and all major religions in the world understand that Jesus walked the face of the earth. They believed in the man Jesus. They don't, they don't believe in the deity of Jesus. We believe that he was God's son. We believe that he is the chosen one. He says he's the king of the world. Ecclesiastes verse chapter seven tells us there is not one single person on earth who's always good who has never sinned. But then Paul writes this about Jesus. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins. You see it? Who had never sinned so that we could be made right with God. How we made right with God through Christ. So the only way to be made right is somebody come live a sinless life. And God and his son Jesus lived that. 100% man and 100% God. You gotta understand, he's just not a man, but he was 100% God. And I must know that that he is God's son. Here's the fourth one that I must know, and this one's a big one, that only God's grace can save me. This one's very important, I wanna make sure you get this one. That only God's grace can save me. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I want you to picture this. The man's on the cross, he's hanging, his, his, his minutes are numbered. He knows he's getting ready to die. He's facing it, it's coming, there's no chance. No changing. And he looks and he says, remember me. Now I want you to understand, it's too late for this man to come down and start going to church. It's too late for him to drop a 20 in the offering. It's too late for him to go down and start reading the Hebrew scriptures and understanding the Old Testament. It's too late for him to come down to be baptized. It's too late for him to come down and offer a sacrifice at the temple. It's too late for him to go and say, I'm gonna go make right every wrong I've done. It's too late for him to go and say, where's the person I hurt? Who did I sin against? And let me confess it to them to make it right. It is too late. However, we know that this man is in eternity with Jesus. That's very important to know because it's only by God's grace can you ever be saved. So many people, you're here today and you think because you've come to church, you check the box off, it makes God happy with you. I read my Bible, it makes God right with me. I prayed today, I dropped the five bucks in the offering building. Whatever it is, I served today, I showed up on a snow day. That's extra credit heaven if you come to church on a snow day, can I get a witness, right? Now that's extra credit. And what happens is so many people, they're trying to work and earn and make themselves right with God. This is a beautiful picture. You can't make yourself right with him by your works because it's too late. And so what does Jesus do? Today, you'll be with me. That's not fair that a wicked, notorious sinner on his deathbed give his life to Jesus and have all the benefits that you and I have when we get to heaven. It's not fair. That's called grace. And that's offered to every single one of us because so many people say, Pastor, there's no way God can save me. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've tried. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know my problems. You don't know my path. You don't understand the demons in my head. You don't know the things that I've gone through. And I'm like, yes, Jesus loves you and he will save you anyway. 
because you'll never be good enough. And that's one of the biggest things that keep people back. Like, I'll just, I just can't live the Christian life. I'll just never be good enough. I skip church. I, skip, I do things on the weekend I shouldn't do, and I don't read my Bible like I should. And they, and they look at all these works trying to be good to save them. Your good works will not save you. It was what the good work that Jesus did on the cross will save you. And maybe the Lord brought you here today to say, stop striving to save yourself because you can't save yourself. And release of this work mentality and just receive his grace. And what? guess what? Once you are forgiven of all your sins and you receive that grace of God and you just let that grace of God cover you, then guess what? Guess what that I wanna do? Not that I have to, please remember, but what I wanna do. I wanna come fellowship with the family of God. I wanna get in the Bible and say, God, speak to me and help me understand. I wanna be generous and see God transform an entire region. I wanna use my gifts and I wanna begin to serve in the body and serve and give back to him. God, if you've given me all these great gracious gifts, I wanna give this stuff back to you. I want you to use me in a great way. Why? Not to earn my salvation, but I'm going to work out my salvation, the scripture says, to show you that I have been saved because I'm grateful for your grace. Not because I have to, watch this, because I get to. And if Christians can flip that mindset, I don't gotta go to church, I don't gotta read my Bible, I don't gotta drop a twin, I don't gotta do this, I get to do this because he's saved me. If you could flip that script in your mindset, listen, this work-based mentality, you would live a freer life. Because here's what I know about every single one of us, you're gonna blow it tomorrow. You're gonna mess up. And it's his grace that covers us. And you're like, man, I just, I just, it's hard to grasp that. That's called grace. That's what I love, what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. And please, you just gotta let this sink into your spirit. God saved you by his grace. When? What did you do? What was the only thing you did? You believed. When you believe, God will save you. And you can't take credit for this. Watch this, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It's a free gift. And lastly, here's the last thing that we must know, is that Jesus will save me if I ask him to save me. People walk around sometimes, they say, hey, you hear about so-and-so, they got saved, or somebody said, I got saved, and I said that. I said it to my roommate, I didn't even know what it was, and I told him that when he walked in, I said, you're not gonna believe it, I gave my life to the Lord, and he saved me. I knew a little bit about church, but you know what I understand when you say that God saved me? God may never save me from the heartaches of this world, from the troubles of this world, from the bad things that happen in this world, in fact, because I know him, I'll probably walk through even a lot of those things. What does God, when you say save me from? He saved me from his wrath. He saved me from standing at that great white throne judgment where I will be thrown into the lake of fire and hell for all eternity, forever and ever. My seven-year-old daughter, I, man, I love listening to her read her Bible and she asks all these questions and she's, she, she has these deep questions and she goes, Dad, it hurts my brain to think about when we get to heaven, it's forever. I just can't get that. I don't understand. How can it be forever? And she said, so when somebody goes to that devil place, it's gonna be forever. I just, I don't, I don't understand that. Folks, it's for all eternity. So when I believe 
He saves me from that death. Now, why would we neglect such a great salvation? I mean, this, this would be candid right here with you. If I'm sitting here today and I know that the wages of my sin is that death, why would I reject Jesus who says, I will forgive you of every one of your sins, your past, your present, your future. I will cleanse you and make you white as snow. Even though you may not feel white as snow, I will make you white as snow. I will take your sins and cast them as far as the east or the west. I will hurl them into the depths of the ocean to remember them no more. Why would we neglect that? And I asked myself that question over and over and over because I've been to church before when I was a teenager and I heard the gospel message and I rejected it. And then my eighth grade year, I walked an aisle and I said a prayer and I was baptized, but I just went through the motion. I knew about Jesus, but I never really met him. My senior year at Belfry High School, I walked an aisle, said a prayer and was baptized. Got a Bible, started reading my Bible. And two months later, back out living like a hellion. I knew about Jesus. I even believed. I believed that he is God's son, but it never changed my life. And it wasn't until I was a junior in college that I got the right belief. You see, that word believe means I believe in something with everything within me that it radically changes my life and I don't care about the consequences. And in my dorm room, I cried out to the Lord and I asked him to save me. And he did. This criminal who lived a horrible life of sin who can never repay and make it back and make it right with God. All he did was look at Jesus and says, I believe you're the Messiah. And so today when we die, remember me. And he says, I assure you, I will be with you. I love what Romans 10 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 16, we saw this, they, they believed in the Lord Jesus and they were saved along with his entire household. They followed him. So how, do, how can I know for sure? Because you can call upon the name of the Lord right now and be saved. How do I know for sure? How can I have a surety that I am saved? Your assurance has to be built on something that's immovable, 100% trustworthy, and unshakable. And where does this assurance come from? The assurance of your salvation comes from the words in this book. I have based my entire eternity in believing that Jesus is who he says he is. I've built my entire life on who Jesus says he is. I've surrendered what everyone's to surrender based on who Jesus is. Think about it. Are you telling me that 12 men let's say 11, fabricated the whole crucifixion and the resurrection, watch this, just to trick the world into being a better place. Have you thought about that? Let's do all this so that 2,000 years later that men can love their wife as Christ loved the church. So people can stop gossiping and live a better life. 
Let's just do this and trick the world to be a better place. Trust in his word. And listen, here it is. Look what it says. This is straight from the words of Jesus, his last statement. I mean, the second statement. I assure you, see, his assurance comes from the lips of Jesus. If he dies on the cross, buried in a tomb, and gets up out of the grave, I'm on his team. I'm gonna go with him. And if he looks at me and says, I assure you, that's all I need to know, bro. And he says, I assure you, watch this, today, which is immediate, today, you will be with me. Watch this, you will, it's certainty. Today, you, that's certainty, you will, he says. Watch this, be with me, which means a relationship. I will be with Jesus in paradise, which is forever and ever and ever. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, watch this. For God says, just at the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now, and today is the day of salvation. Why? Because you're not promised tomorrow. Today is your day. And in Romans 10, Paul says this, anyone, say anyone, anyone. The most wicked, notorious sinner on the planet if they would stop, repent of their sin, and put their faith and trust in Jesus, he will save them. And he will save you. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, anyone will be saved. And so my prayer today as we study through this, one, as the believers in Christ, are, we would be edified and we will be strengthened in understanding what's going on the cross. But listen, today, if you're here for the first time or first time or the hundredth time, does it matter that today would be the day of your salvation, that you would choose Jesus, that he is the King of kings, that he is the Lord of lords, that he is the Messiah. I'm gonna ask if you would to bow your head. So today's that day. The Lord brought you to this place to build you up, to encourage you, to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your trust that you can trust him and take him at his word. For believers to assure us, if Jesus says it, it is it. To assure that we're saved. To test our hearts. Do we have the right belief? It's fitting for all of us. And maybe for you today, though, whether you're sitting at our Ashland campus, our Grayson campus, here at our Moorhead campus, or you're just watching us online, I don't believe it's by mistake. Right where you sit, you can call upon the name of the Lord, and guess what? He will radically save you. Now, saying a prayer doesn't save you. We know that but my lips can proclaim what my heart declares. And if your heart right now declares, you know what, this Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God, then why not today you repent of your sin and put your faith in him? And if that's you, then surrender your life and just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. 
And I believe today, God, that you got up out of the grave for me. Forgive me of my sin. Now help me follow you all the days of my life. Now according to the scripture, that if you just called upon the name of the Lord, and not that you said it with your lips, I did that my eighth grade year, said it with your lips, I did that my senior, but you said it with your heart, you're finally connected and you truly believe that it radically changes your life and you don't care about the consequences. You don't care who knows. I don't care if my wife knows, I don't care if my kids know, I don't care if my boss knows, I don't care if the world knows. Like, I don't care. See, a belief that is so strong that you believe in so wholeheartedly that it radically changes your life and you do not care about the consequences. I don't care what anybody thinks. If that's you, we wanna celebrate you. So I'm gonna ask you to do something that's pretty bold. I did this last week, I'm gonna do it again this week. Because we wanna rejoice and celebrate with you at all of our locations right now. If that's you today, and you prayed with me, and you said, Pastor, I just wanna let you know, I just wanna pray for you. Pastor, I wanna let you know today, man, God just really spoke to me, and I'm just so thankful. I'm not, I'm not afraid, I'm not embarrassed, I don't care who knows. But today, I gave my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you be so bold just to raise your hand right now, all of our locations. Come on, all of our campuses, get them up. Come on, awesome, get them up. Let's go. Way to go. Super proud of you guys. Now let me pray, because here's what's happened today, Bear Life Church. In the midst of a cold, snowy day, God brought people and drawed him to himself and radically began to change their life. So come on, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how relevant it is. God, we deserve death. We deserve to hang on that cross. But yet, while we were still sinners, you sent your son to die for us. And God, we're eternally grateful. God, thank you so much that salvation has visited your house this morning. That God, you're drawing people to yourself and that you're saving and changing people's lives. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that we will leave this place today being encouraged in our word, trusting and taking Jesus at his word for the assurance of our salvation for those of us who truly know him. And God, for those who are still searching, I just pray that you would continue to do a work in their life. You continue to surround them with your presence. You continue to open their eyes to see that you are the king and how much you love them. God, I cannot wait to hear the stories of life change and I cannot wait to see what you're gonna do through this series leading up to Easter. God, draw men and women to yourself. Let's see an entire region transformed with the gospel. For it's your name we ask and we pray. Come on now, and everybody said, amen.